the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Your aunt would like a word with you. There are reports out there that tomorrow your aunt Rachel, with the blessing of His Excellency Tom Wolfe, will be issuing new restrictions, which of course means they're getting ready to kill Christmas. That'll probably mean that your aunt will decide how many people you're allowed to have at your house for Christmas dinner. Of course, believing that lockdowns work is a lot like believing in Santa Claus. It makes you feel good, but it's not really true. Uh, Maybe your Aunt Rachel should take a look at New York and Florida. Now, Governor Cuomo, he's been uh, locking down everything that moves in New York for about eight months now, seven months, whatever it is. And uh, the media love him. Down in Florida, Ron DeSantis has been doing his best to keep things open. Uh, Florida has a population of 22 million. New York's population is 19.5 million. COVID cases in Florida, 42,402. COVID cases in New York, 338,617. COVID deaths in Florida, 180,027, or 18,027. COVID deaths in New York, 27,448. The media slobber all over Governor Cuomo, as I said, and they, and they think that DeSantis is a raving maniac. But your government leaders think they have to do something, even if that's something uh, that they've been doing for the last several uh, seven months, whatever it is, hasn't worked and has ruined the lives of millions of people. So the announcement could come tomorrow. Now, what I'm wondering is uh, whether there will be any pushback from local media, especially local TV news. They do a uh, what will they do? Just a, a story about uh, differing opinions uh, on lockdowns. Will they do that? Um, I haven't. I don't know. Uh, will, will they challenge the record of Aunt Rachel and His Excellency, or will they act like uh, a community bulletin board and just puke out the orders that they get from the idiots in charge? I'm kind of betting on the puking. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden said today that he has a plan to mask everybody up in his first 100 days. Isn't that nice? Here's what he said: "Quote." My signing an order on day one to require masks where I can under the law, where I can under the law, like federal buildings, interstate travel on planes, trains, and buses. I'll also be working with the governors and mayors to do the same in their states and their cities. We're going to require masks wherever possible. That's what he's going to do uh, a month from now, month and a half, I guess. And then he said, help yourself, your family, your community, whatever your politics or point of view, Mask up for 100 days after we take office. 100 days to make a difference. It's not a political statement. It's a patriotic act, unquote. We can only hope that the latest Hail Mary put up there by the Trump campaign prevents this idiot from becoming president, of course. And when we come back, we're going to talk to an expert about the chances of the lawsuit filed by the state of Texas against four states being successful. And in our second half hour, by the way, a good long conversation with Cyril Wecht about his audio autobiography, The Life and Deaths of Cyril Wecht. Stick around. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. 
If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Election fraud, radical abortion rights, open borders, riots in our streets, and regime changes in other nations. Meet George Soros, an atheist and one of the most dangerously influential people in America, pouring millions of dollars into the leftist agenda, instigating society's demoralization to control a free people and destroy the foundations of Christianity and our constitutional order. Watch the new film. Billionaire radical George Soros and the scheme to remake America. Online at SalemNow.com. See the movie that George Soros and the far left don't want you to see. Learn the truth and prepare to be shocked. Billionaire radical George Soros and the scheme to remake America. Online at SalemNow.com for just $9.99 or buy the DVD for just $12.99. Go to SalemNow.com. Get 20% off with promo code Pittsburgh. That's SalemNow.com. Promo code Pittsburgh. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy! If you're in HR, you're probably wearing a lot of hats. Recruiter, team builder, trainer, mediator, policymaker, and of course, paper pusher. But not anymore. Bamboo HR is the number one HR software for small and medium businesses. It manages all your employee data easily and automates countless tasks so you can focus on people, not paperwork. Bamboo HR frees you from spreadsheets so you can do your real job, creating a great place to work. If the data shuffle and paperwork mountain have you ready to hang up all your hats, you're ready for Bamboo. If you handle HR records and paperwork, Bamboo HR is a dream. Let us free up your time and put your days of pushing paperwork behind you so you can focus on the people and making your company a great place to work for everyone. Try PC Magazine's top pick for HR software free today. Just go to BambooHR.com slash trial. This is a limited offer only available to radio listeners at BambooHR.com slash trial. That's BambooHR.com slash trial. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. So now it's Texas. The Attorney General Ken Paxton is suing four states, including Pennsylvania. The others are Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. It could be headed directly to the Supreme Court. What does it mean, and will it change anything? Zach Smith is a legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, and he joins us now. Zach, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So, Zach, here's what the suit says for people who haven't seen it yet. Uh, Using the COVID-19 pandemic as a justification, government officials in the defending states of Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I guess I got the state wrong. It's not Arizona, it's Michigan. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, The states of Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania uh, usurped their legislature's authority and unconstitutionally revised their state's election statutes. Pacton's complaint says, quote, they accomplished these statutory revisions through executive fiat or friendly lawsuits, thereby weakening ballot integrity. So, Zach, what happens next? 
Well, I think the first hurdle that, that Ken Paxton and the, the state of Texas are going to face is even getting the Supreme Court to hear this case. Uh, under current Supreme Court case law and procedures, they don't have to hear the case. And so that's really the first hurdle, is getting the Supreme Court to agree to hear the case. The second hurdle uh, Texas is going to face is that even if the Supreme Court decides to hear the case, it would likely be very difficult for them to provide any meaningful relief in the time frame that Texas is asking them to do it. And so before you even get into the merits of the suit, those two kind of procedural hurdles are really at the, the forefront of this litigation. So, um, so it's, it's a, uh, it's a question of time also. Um, what, how, how much time do they have? What, what, what's, the, what's the deadline? Well, you know, uh, December 8th today is the safe harbor deadline uh, for electoral mm-hmm. college votes to, to be entitled to presumptive validity if states have certified their results before today. And then in December 14th is when the electoral college meets and casts their votes. And then in January, of course, is, is when the Congress meets, tabulates the votes, and officially declares a winner of the presidential election. And so once you start getting past the safe harbor deadline, after you get past the deadline uh, in December where the electoral uh, college meets and casts their votes, you know, it becomes very, very difficult to really get any meaningful relief after that point. And on top of that, what Texas is asking for basically for either redos of the presidential election in those states you mentioned or for the court to order the state legislatures to appoint a different slate of electors, uh, you know, that's a very big ask. And, and would, you know, it's hard to foresee a circumstance where the court would really uh, grant that type of relief, knowing what we know now. now. Can a lower court block it from getting to the Supreme Court? So this is actually a unique procedural case. Uh, the Constitution provides that any time a state directly sues another state, uh, the Supreme Court has something called original jurisdiction. That means the case can be filed directly with the Supreme Court. And so that's what Texas has chosen to do in this case. They've bypassed the lower federal courts. And so the case is going straight to the Supreme Court. Now, you know, a minute ago when I was talking about whether the justices would even uh, be willing to hear the case, mm-hmm. typically the justices, you know, my impression is don't like these original jurisdiction cases. Because, you know, when cases work their way up to the lower federal courts, the factual record is developed, the legal issues are refined. And so if a case gets there uh, under their original jurisdiction, they don't have the benefit of everything that's happened in the lower federal courts. And so, again, I I think that first hurdle, getting the Supreme Court to hear the case, uh, that's really going to be the major one that Texas faces in this lawsuit. Um, The suit says also, quote, there is an appearance of voting irregularities in the defendant states that uh, would be consistent with the unconstitutional relaxation of ballot integrity protections in those states' election laws. Um, is is there any? Is, I mean, is that even a debatable point that there is at least appearance of voting irregularities? Does anybody deny that there is at least that appearance out there? Well, I think we've certainly seen, you know, troubling allegations. And yes, I think there have been uh, the appearance of irregularities that absolutely need to be investigated. But the problem, again, Texas is going to run into, you know, I think it's an open point of law whether Texas would even have standing, the ability to bring this lawsuit, whether they're the proper party to raise these claims. And so, you know, unfortunately, it does look like Texas really does have a, have a really tough road ahead in terms of uh, getting any type of meaningful relief with this lawsuit. All four states uh, have certified their results. So uh, this means that, as you said, I mean, if this suit is successful, uh, a success would be the Supreme Court overruling those states, this, the certification of the results. That, that's, a, that's a big ask, as you said. It's a, it's a very big ask. You know, certainly when uh, the votes are tabulated in January by the Congress, you know, there is a, a procedure where if, uh, somebody from the House of Representatives, somebody from the Senate objects to the results. Then there's a, a mechanism where the houses can temporarily adjourn and you know debate the merits of that objection. But again, as long as states have certified by December 8th, 
uh, you know, they're, they're the slate of electors they certify are presumptively valid. And so, uh, again, you know, it is a very big ask. And if the court even agrees to hear the case, if the court says Texas is the proper party to bring this lawsuit, and if the court reaches the merits and, and were to decide, you know, Texas's points are correct, again, you know, it, it's it's hard to foresee a circumstance where they would grant this very drastic type of relief uh, that Texas is asking for. Now, here's another uh, little angle here that uh, I it, it I guess uh, for people who are really into the law, as someone like you would be, uh, and we're talking to Zach Smith, he's a legal <laughs> fellow for uh, legal and judicial studies at the Heritage Foundation. It says here, let me read it, um, while Americans likely care more about who is elected president, the states have a distinct interest in who is elected vice president and thus who can cast the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. Through that interest, states suffer an Article Three injury when another state violates federal law to affect the outcome of a presidential election. This injury is particularly acute in 2020, where a Senate majority often will hang on the vice president's tie-breaking vote because of the nearly equal and depending on the outcome of Georgia runoff elections in January, possibly equal balance between political parties. Quite simply, it is vitally important to the states who becomes vice president. Anybody, I think the, is that going to sway anybody on the court? Well, I, I think it really points from what you, you read to me. It certainly sounds like Texas recognizes they may have a standing problem. You know, the idea that they may not be the proper party to bring this lawsuit. And so yeah. it sounds like what they're trying to do there is they're trying to, you know, make make an argument uh, that for why they have been, been harmed by these other states actions and why the state of Texas would be the proper party, uh, you know, to basically vindicate those harms. And so, you know, it's certainly it's, it's certainly a, a novel legal argument that Texas is putting forward there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's again, that's several steps, you know, before before the court would even consider that argument. You know, for, again, first and foremost is whether the court will even agree to hear the case, especially given the relief Texas is asking for, especially given the expedited time frame uh, within which they would have to act. Now, um, Ted Cruz has offered to argue the case if it gets to the court. Is that a good thing? Does it matter? Well, you know, Ted Cruz, certainly a very talented uh, attorney, clerk for the Supreme Court. Uh, and I, I'm not familiar with Senator Cruz's offer, uh, but, you know, Senator Cruz is certainly a, a very able uh, advocate. So uh, I think most, uh, most folks would be very fortunate to have him as an attorney. Now, <clears throat> Zach, does this... Would this um, lawsuit and everything that goes with it qualify as a Hail Mary? Because it's being uh, – uh, when, it, when, it, when the news came out, it was presented as though, uh-oh, this could be, this could be a game changer, and you, I, you're, not, you're not giving it a, a, a really big chance here. Well, I, I, I mean, look, I, I think, I, again, given the, the hurdles that we've discussed – you know, Texas certainly faces an uphill battle in terms of, of, you know, getting the court to hear the lawsuit and then getting a meaningful relief from the court if it were to hear the lawsuit. And I think it's really just kind of the confluence of factors we're facing right now, you know, given the, the short time frame and, again, the very uh, big ask, I think, as you put it, that Texas is making. And so, you know, Texas is certainly entitled to bring the lawsuit to try to do this, but it's, you know, it's hard to foresee, you know, speaking personally, you know, my own view, it's hard to foresee a circumstance where Texas would, would get the relief that they're asking for to essentially overturn the results of the presidential elections in those other states. What about your personal opinion on whether that will even, would you bet on it even being um, uh, reviewed by the court, getting to the court? Uh, it's, you know, it's 2020, so I'm hesitant to make any predictions, <laughs> really, <laughs> at this point. Uh, but, you know, personally, based on what we know about the court, about, you know, how it views original jurisdiction cases, uh, it, again, my personal view would probably be it's a tough road to even get the court to agree to hear this case. Well, now I want to throw another uh, possibility out to you that I, I saw somewhere online uh from a guy at UncoveredDC.com, um, and this is a, I mean, he's just throwing out what he thinks could happen. Um, he says the uh, the media have been claiming that all the Trump campaign's lawsuits have been thrown out to date. 
while the rulings, rulings have not generally been favorable to the president so far, the end game in this scenario would be the Supreme Court bundling several of the state-specific lawsuits together for a blanket ruling on election fraud allegations made in those states. In this scenario, there will have been enough evidence gathered to establish a reasonable basis in fact and law that a nationwide effort to cheat on the election was perpetrated on behalf of Joe Biden. You buying any of that? Well, I mean, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly uh, a possibility that could happen. But again, you know, the Supreme Court and courts in general are very deliberative, you know, tend to be very deliberative bodies or view themselves that way, you know, like to take their time, generally disfavor uh, emergency relief other than just to kind of leave things in place and keep the status quo while they, they hash through the issues. Unfortunately, because, you know, the Electoral College is meeting, uh, you know, on December 14th, and then the, the Congress is going to meet in January to tabulate the ballots, and then the end of January uh, will be, you know, the inauguration. Even that end of January time frame uh, for the Supreme Court to decide these issues would be, would be much more, would have to happen much more quickly than a typical case uh, coming before the Supreme Court would. And so just because of the timing of a lot of these issues, you know, I, I think many of these these lawsuits and other issues to get reviewed from the Supreme Court are facing an uphill battle as well. Were Sidney Powell's lawsuits ever going anywhere? Uh, right now, it does not look like it, uh, unfortunately. You know, uh, uh, like with many of the, the other lawsuits, uh, she can certainly appeal the results. Um but, you know, as you mentioned, with, with many of the other of uh, the president's lawsuits, uh, so far they have not gotten uh, a very favorable reception in the lower federal courts. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this one, but uh, today, uh, for, for our listeners here, Pennsylvania Congressman Mike Kelly filed a suit at the Supreme Court. He's asking that a ruling by the state Supreme Court be overturned. overturned rather. Any chance there? Well, and I think, I think if we step back, you know, one of the bigger issues that a lot of these lawsuits have raised and one of the big issues we're going to have to confront, you know, regardless of the outcome of these suits and, and this election is we saw a lot of state officials uh, who are not the state legislatures making changes to election law, election procedures, and they were doing it very close to the election, even after some votes had already been cast. And if you go read the Constitution, Article 2 uh, provides that it's the state legislatures that have to set the rules and procedures for conducting elections. And so a lot of the complaints are because the rules were changed uh, close to an election, which isn't good. And they were changed by people who were not the state legislature. And so, you know, I think at some point the court may have to get involved, decide that issue. You know, again, I'm not sure whether it will do it in any of these cases uh, that are working their way up right now. But I think all of us as citizens, as voters, you know, as we start thinking about what went wrong this past election cycle and really what issues we need to confront going forward, you know, that's certainly one, uh, you know, encouraging uh, our state legislatures to, to basically do their jobs, set the rules, and then making clear we're, we're not going to tolerate it as voters when they advocate that responsibility uh, to other branches of the state government. We're talking to Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow for legal and judicial studies at the Heritage Foundation. Zach, got a couple minutes left here. Um, I'm just wondering what happens here uh, if, you know, Joe Biden is inaugurated on January 20th. Um, I got to believe if they, if people are really, if the, if the Republicans or anybody else really believes that, uh, there was massive fraud involved in this election. They're not going to stop investigating it when Joe Biden is inaugurated. What happens if something would be revealed sometime after he becomes president that there was massive fraud and the people in the Democratic Party and maybe even as high up as Joe Biden knew about it? And, and for that matter, what would prevent them from, from investigating that? Well, I mean, look, certainly if there was wrongdoing, you know, found by, by Joe Biden or anything along those lines, you know, certainly impeachment is always an option. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it looks like right now the, the Democrats are going to retain control of the House of Representatives. Uh, you know, the runoff elections in Georgia will decide control of the Senate. Uh, so, you know, that may be a, a tough road. 
kind of the silver lining I will say is, you know, Bill Barr did appoint John Durham to be a special prosecutor. And that's important because, you know, right now, John Durham's been doing a lot of his investigatory work and it's focused on the, you know, the Russia collusion allegations and investigation that came out of the 2016 presidential election. But right now, Durham's doing that as in his role as U.S. attorney. And whenever a new administration comes in, U.S. attorneys are presidentially appointed. And so I'd anticipate John Durham will, as will all the other U.S. attorneys, essentially be fired from their positions. And so what Bill Barr has done by appointing him to be the special prosecutor is he, it will allow John Durham to continue his work even into uh, a new administration, even if that is a Biden one. So hopefully, uh, you know, if he uncovers anything, uh, folks will be held accountable. Zach, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you coming on and clearing this up for us uh, lay people. Thank you very much. Of course. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Zach Smith uh, of the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Speaking from the White House on Operation Warp Speed, President Trump says his executive order will ensure the coronavirus vaccine is prioritized for Americans before it is sent overseas. The summit featuring many officials, Chief Science Advisor Monsef Slawi wants to immunize the entire U.S. population by the end of June. Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine is entering the final phase of review by U.S. government regulators on Thursday. A group of independent experts will review the FDA's findings and vote on whether to recommend use of the vaccine. U.S. productivity increased at a solid 4.6% pace in the July-September quarter, slightly below the initial estimate. Steady gains throughout the day delivered another round of record highs on Wall Street. The Dow gained 104 points, the Nasdaq up 62, the S&P ahead 10. This is SRN News. Excuse me. Why don't you have life insurance yet? I've got diabetes, and I know the price will be through the roof for the pre-existing condition. Well, actually, SelectQuote makes it easy to get very affordable life insurance, even if you have a health issue. I'm listening. You'll get quotes from some of the country's most trusted carriers. Even with your diabetes, you can get around $250,000 in insurance for as little as a dollar a day. That would be amazing. <laughs> What's it called again? SelectQuote. Just call or go to selectquote.com to get your free quote. Get the coverage you need at a price you can afford. Call 1-800-694-1010 or go to selectquote.com today. That's 1-800-694-1010 or selectquote.com. Selectquote. We shop. You save. Get full details on example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Monthly premiums vary based on health company and other factors. Not available in all states. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy and Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job. It's what we do. You have the same goals we all do. To protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Really crawling along on the inbound Parkway East, Greensburg Pike, down at the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. It is really a heavy delay, but that's all because of an earlier accident now cleared. On the outbound side, disabled vehicles off to the shoulder past Rodi Road. On Parkway West, inbound delays from Parkway Center Drive to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Aliquippa Major Street is blocked with police activity between Terrace Street and Hall Street. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. We'll see overcast skies tonight with a low of 29. Mostly cloudy tomorrow. Tomorrow will reach a high of 40. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow night with a low of 30. Thursday, we'll have times of clouds and sun. We'll reach a high Thursday of 45. Clear skies Thursday night, low 30. Friday, sunshine giving way to increasing clouds. It'll be mild with a high of 54. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. 
Now you've spent a long, long time trying to find a more interesting or smarter guy than Cyril Wecht in Pittsburgh or anywhere else for that matter. And he's written an autobiography called The Life and Death of Cyril Wecht. Cyril, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. In the preface, uh, you write that the book, quote, was not written as a commercial venture to attract more consultations to my business or because I plan to run for political office again or because I want to be more famous. I am now 89 years old, and my consulting schedule is still jammed by uh, is still jammed. My days of running for office are behind me, and I'm already famous enough. So why did you write the book, Cyril? I, I, I gave it as maybe a gift, <laughs> a gift to myself. I, uh, uh, well, you know, there were so many things that I, I wanted to say, and I have been saying it to friends and family and in discussions, but I thought that um, there would be uh, interesting um, historical events um, that people would find fascinating, and, of course, to touch upon um, many of my cases. Although, mm-hmm. as you know, John, the um, um, cases are set forth in summary fashion, but not so brief as to be unrecognizable um, or meaningless. Uh, and so I wrote it then to set forth um, this information, let people know what forensic pathology is, and to discuss, I think, the criminal justice system and how it can be perverted, subverted, uh, misused, abused by uh, people in prosecutorial offices, uh, county, state, and federal, and uh, talking about my two trials that you will recall quite well, Allegheny County, 79 to 81, and with the U.S. Attorney's Office, 2006 to 2009. So I thought these would be interesting things to share with the people. Yeah, and so uh, you did mention that you, you, you wanted to use the book to provide details on two uh, legal challenges you just mentioned there, uh, and you did uh, how you overcame both of them. Uh, yes. Can you give us a quick summary of those two episodes and, and, uh, and how you did overcome them? I know it's it's yeah. tough in a short amount well, of time, but sure, sure. Well, in nineteen in the late nineteen seventies, uh, Steve Zappala, the district attorney, uh, who is still district attorney. Um, no, I'm sorry, I beg your pardon. I got, I'm jumping ahead of myself. And uh, Colville, who was district attorney, and uh, egged on by Coon, the sheriff, they were unhappy about the way in which I was conducting public inquest, open inquest, and all police related deaths. I was fifty years ahead of my time before the George Floyd case occurred. And uh, uh, I refused to back off. I felt that these cases had to be shared with the public through the news media. We have the power of inquest and the power to subpoena people, including the officers involved. And uh, so uh, we went to trial. And how did I overcome it? I overcame it because I stuck in there. I fought tenaciously. And I had a great attorney, Stanley Pfizer, from Charleston, West Virginia, who was one of the most prominent trial attorneys of last century, considered by everybody to be absolutely fantastic. And he devoted uh, his life for those couple of months. I couldn't, they were staying at a motel I arranged for them in Oakland. I couldn't even get him and his assistant, Barbara Fleischer, to come to my home for a relaxing dinner some evening. Uh, That's how dedicated they were. So it cost me a lot of money, and it was very painful and traumatic for my wife. Um, My kids were still young. But they appreciated some difficulties going on, I'm sure. And uh, so that's how I overcame it. Uh, and the judge recognized it. Uh, there were six charges. Um, two of the charges were withdrawn by the DA's office before we went to trial. Then uh, the judge threw out two. And then they wound up with two. And they tried to remove another one to reduce it to one K- one charge, hoping that they'd get the jury to go along with it. And uh, we, the judge declined, and we declined, and we fought, and the jury came in in just a few hours, and with a complete, a complete uh, exoneration. That's great. Yeah. So uh, you don't speak very highly of the uh, current Allegheny County DA, Stephen Zapala. No. So no. So now Zapala entered the picture, and now we have a repeat performance, but but to a greater extent. Steve Zapala started off uh, his father directing him to. It looked to me for counsel and mentorship, and then he became very unhappy as I refused to remain quiet and as I continued to do public inquests on every police okay. examine and autopsy and uh, a public inquest held by me, uh, presided over by prominent attorneys, uh, judges, 
sometime, one time, a retired Supreme Court justice. And that's what we did. And he became increasingly unhappy. And then uh, things that came together for him, a discredited FBI agent who was shipped out of the office in New Jersey by the name of Bradley Orsini, came to Pittsburgh, and he was looking to uh, rehabilitate himself. And I don't know how the connection came between him and Zabala, but it did. And then they hooked up with uh, Mary Beth Buchanan in the U.S. Attorney's Office, who was seeking to get her uh, rear end on the Third Circuit. She was already beyond just getting a local federal judgeship. She was looking for the Third Circuit. And so they sold a package, and they put it together, and the U.S. Attorney's Office came down with an 84 felony count indictment. 84 felony count indictment in January of 06. Um, so after two years of preparing for all of that and spending all that money, then on the week before the trial began, in January of 08, they withdrew 43 charges. They withdrew 43 of the 84. We went to trial on 41. I had great attorneys, Jerry McDivitt and Mark Rush from K&L Gates, and they did a massive job with their uh, paralegals and secretaries and associates, and uh, we fought that. And then we rested, didn't even put on a witness of our own because they had done such a great job <laughs> with the prosecution's witnesses. The prosecution brought in witnesses to harm me, and they harmed themselves. Sister Grace Ann Geibel, as the best example of this marvelous woman, Ph.D., president of Carver University, and uh, <laughs> when they tried to say that I was trading uh, bodies uh, to the school for teaching in exchange for free rent, she said her words, I find that utterly reprehensible. You hear that from a Catholic nun in Allegheny County? What do you think? So anyway, um, and the jury came in with a hung jury, and um, then the government said they would appeal. And uh, we we simply were saying that it would be uh, double jeopardy. We didn't think we had much of a chance. And rather incredibly, to show you, the three members of the Third Circuit, um, all three Republican appointees, they said, hey, this case has to be viewed with their words, fresh eyes, and a less, less biased fashion. And they said, we're sending it back to a new federal judge. So another federal judge locally was appointed, and we went up and we presented the case before him in Erie, and uh, he came in with a blistering 55-page report uh, dismissing the government's charges. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention that they withdrew then 17 more of the um, uh, wow. 41. Uh, and uh, so there we were. And I wound up later. And it cost me, John, um, more than more than $4 million. They also tried to uh, let, uh, bring some phony charges against two of my sons. I had to pay for those attorneys. That proved to be absurd, utter nonsense, extremely malevolent. And uh, we prevailed. And uh, that was it. And K and L Gates deserve credit. They walked away, John, with me owning, uh, owing them, owing them six point two million dollars. Six point two wow. million dollars. So this defense cost me in excess. The, the, the total charge was ten million dollars. Cost me over four, and they they forgave me for six point two million dollars. So those are my two travails, which I discuss in the book with great pride. I'm delighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and. Maybe I don't mean to boast, but, you know, it took courage and perseverance. It took a strong family, a loving wife, and my four great children. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that, that's, 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 that's what it took. And I want you to know something else, John, you're going to find incredible. You know that during all of that time, I continued to do autopsies for the four corners <laughs> in outlying counties that I continue to do to this time. I would go in the evenings. I would go on weekends and Friday when there was no court. And one time, you ready for this? You're not going to believe this. If you read it in a fiction book, you'd say nonsense. I finished a trial up for me on the fifth floor of the federal building before that horrible, uh, arrogant, extremely biased judge, Arthur Schwab. And then I went downstairs two flights to uh, uh, a, a very nice judge, Judge Conti, on the third floor, and testified in a case. Uh, it was a civil case brought against uh, the state and a state trooper who had shot and killed a 14-year-old African-American boy. I had done that autopsy. So uh, on that day, finished a trial of mine and went downstairs two flights in the same building. 
and testified in a in a federal case. How do you like that? Well, you're kind of a maniac, Cyril. Uh, you're 89 years old. You point out in the book, you, you, you still do over 500 autopsies a year. You work seven days a week. So it doesn't surprise me to hear you tell me that story. Now, uh, yeah, we're well, talking to Cyril a, Weck. I do, have a, I do have a colleague. Now, the last two years, I do have a colleague. She's wonderful. She came on board. And so now I'm, I'm only doing about 260, 270 autopsies. We split the 540 in half. But I'm doing those at medical legal consultations all over the country. I had one from Israel three weeks ago. Still get occasional foreign cases. It's, it's, uh, it's quite a load. We're talking to Cyril Wecht. The book is The Life and Deaths of Cyril Wecht. So um, why did the coroner of L.A. County call you immediately after Bobby Kennedy was shot out there in L.A. in 1968? Dr. Tom Noguchi is a dear friend, a respected colleague, um, now retired, uh, Tom and I keep in touch with each other. Uh, Tom and I had become good friends. We met at the American Academy of Forensic Sciences in 1962 as young men, and we just developed a very warm friendship. So when Tom uh, went to work in the L.A. Medical Examiner's Office, he would call me uh, when he was chief forensic pathologist, and then later when he was the chief medical examiner and coroner. He called me, and I'll never forget, I, I get this call about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I said, oh, bye, Tom. Once again, has forgotten the three-hour time difference. He was calling me to tell me that Robert Kennedy had been shot. He did not need my advice on how to perform an autopsy, but he wanted to make sure that the government did not spirit the body of the senator out of L.A. as they had done with the president in Dallas back in 63. So I gave Tom some very pertinent advice, which he followed. Uh, He invited in. He acted proactively. uh, Three military forensic pathologists and uh, some others to be observers. I was an official observer listed uh, as one of the signatories on that autopsy. I went out there to the Ambassador Hotel where the senator was shot, reviewed, walked through everything with Dr. Noguchi. I also consulted with Tom on the Sharon Tate about the Yonka murders and uh, some others of interest. I remember uh, Albert Decker and uh, Patty Hearst and some of these Liberation Army cases. We're very great friends and uh, remain so. Now, um, the, I think I want to get to, obviously, the, the Kennedy, uh, JFK assassination b- uh, before we're finished here. But just on the Bobby Kennedy thing, that, that's, that story seems to be accepted by everybody, unlike the JFK uh, case. Sirhan well, Sirhan shot him, him and, and that was it. But, but you don't buy that one either, do you? No, no. Well, John, let me ask something. I've been asking audiences in the thousands and thousands now over these last 45, 50 years or so. Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, Bobby Kennedy had just won the um, primary in California, tantamount to getting the Democratic nomination for president. They knew they couldn't take him out of the ballroom. They'd be besieged by thousands of uh, devotees. And so they said, let's go out through <clears throat> the kitchen area. And uh, uh, he was uh, walking out. He had Rayford Johnson, the California champion, uh, as a guard and so on. And Sirhan was there. And yes, you're right, Sirhan, Sirhan um, was there. And he stepped forward and he shot what was the distance? What was the distance, John? As you will recall, uh, when Sirhan fired his gun um, at Bobby Kennedy, who was walking toward him. What was the? Just give me an approximate idea. What do you think? Uh, several feet, I would say. Okay, you're right in part. We don't even know. Are you ready for this? And this is yeah. officially documented in the autopsy report, signed off on by Dr. Noguchi, uh, four other forensic pathologists in his office, by the three military forensic pathologists. And me and two other civilian forensic pathologists and three USC professors, the distance from which the fatal shot was fired um, was one to one and a half inches. Went in above and behind the right ear and um, had a slightly forward trajectory. You like that? So, sure, yep. a hand shot, and there was a second shooter. Now, what I'm going to tell what I just said to you, this is not subjective, John. Please understand. This is what I'm telling you. This is hard, hard scientific fact. You, and so I want to get off the Bobby thing for a second because I'm running out of time here. But you were the first non-government official to see the JFK uh, uh, autopsy materials. Uh, what did you find? I was the first non-government appointed, non-government sponsored forensic pathologist. And I found um, that the Warren Commission is total nonsense. Um, you, you have an autopsy done by two career naval pathologists who had never done 
a single gunshot wound autopsy in their entire careers. Multiple gunshot wounds in the president. You have to differentiate entrance from exit, angle, trajectory, sequence. you got to correlate those wounds with all of the wounds in John Connolly. This would be a formidable task for a trio of outstanding, experienced forensic pathologists. So to show you how it was controlled. First, they illegally took the body of the president out of Dallas, where the autopsy should have been done by the medical examiner, Earl Rose, whom I knew personally, taken to um, <coughs> D.C., autopsy done, as I've said, and then the findings that they made completely different uh, from those observed by a dozen different experienced traumatic surgeons in the ER at Parkland Hospital in terms of where the injuries of the brain and the skull were. And uh, then they put that together, uh, soon faced by a seemingly impossible, physically incongruent problem um, when they had the Zapruder film, which permits you to study the filming of the assassination at 1-18th second intervals, something that I did at the uh, Life magazine headquarters in December 66 in New York City, the original copy. You can study the assassination of President Kennedy at 1-18th second intervals. There's not a word you can utter, a movement you can make, a thought you can entertain 18 times in one second. And then they did the timing on the on the alleged murder weapon, a piece of junk considered by every long gun expert I've ever spoken to as the most inferior weapon of his genre, a manicure carcano, non-automatic carbine. And it was determined that it took 2.3 seconds from shot to shot. Shoot, and then without allowing time for reloading, repositioning at a moving target, 2.3 seconds. But the Zapruder film clearly shows that Connolly has hit 1.5 seconds after Kennedy's hit the first time. That gave them one hell of a problem because they had already put everything to bed. Senator Hoover had already announced to the country uh, what had happened, a sole assassin, etc. So how did they overcome that? That's when they came up with the single bullet theory. <laughs> the single bullet theory holds that one bullet produced seven wounds in two men um, going into Kennedy's back, out his throat, turning in midair, going to the right, hitting Connolly behind the right armpit, going into his chest, perforating the lung, destroying four inches of the right fifth rib, exiting below nipple level, hooking back up and around into his wrist, which was above, above nipple level, holding his white and hat, shattering the distal end of the radius, uh, one of two large bones from the elbow to the wrist, exiting from the front of his wrist, going into Governor Connolly's left thigh, and then found fortuitously, uh, quite, uh, quite uh, magnificently, marvelously, by a maintenance man at Parkland Hospital trying to get to the men's room, men's room after everybody had left uh, the presidential entourage, finding the corridor blocked by stretchers, bent down, moved the stretcher, and lo and behold, John, there was a bullet. A copper jacket, lead core, military ammunition, one and a quarter inch in length, quarter of an inch in diameter, pristine, just a slight deformation at the base from the impact of the firing mechanism, the jacket, the nose, the cone, having broken two large bones, completely intact with a weight loss of only one and a half percent. That's the single bullet theory, which is a sine on of the Warren Commission report. If you don't have a single bullet theory, you've got two assassins. So that's the now, did, assassination. Cyril, did you learn things? i got to wrap this up. But did, you, did you learn things about the JFK assassination that you will have to take to your grave without making public? Um, no. And I don't I expect them to make you public here. <laughs> no, I think I made everything public. I, I haven't held back. Um, People often ask me if I've ever been threatened or so on. I haven't been physically threatened, but I've paid a price. I can't get into that. I, 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 we don't have time. Uh, but I've paid a price professionally, but I've, I've overcome it. And, uh, no, I, I've run a lot of this. Oh, there, John. Anybody wants to study this, what I've told you, these are hard scientific facts. I haven't, if there's anything subjective, I would tell you. But when I talk about the single bullet, at Commission Exhibit 399, as Mark Lane and I dubbed it, the magic bullet. That those are hard facts. Cyril, I'm I'm out of time. Thanks a lot. Good luck with the book. It's John, the life and you. deaths thank of Cyril Wecht, and it's uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. The country's most uh, controversial forensic pathologist. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back. Dennis Prager combats evil. Teaching children that this country is a cesspool is evil. 
It's a monstrous lie. Because nothing made was better. And you judge countries as you do individuals in comparison to others. Not in comparison to your childlike fantasies. The Dennis Prager Show. Weekdays at noon, right before Charlie Kirk at 2 on AM 1250. The answer. If you're an employer, a business owner, if you have 5 to 100 employees, listen up. The cost of doing business continues to skyrocket, strangling your HR department with more regulations, administrative duties, and liability than ever. I'm John Steigerwald. Your health plan's a big part of that cost. Another year... Another 10% rate hike, another $1,000 increase on your deductible, another hospital or doctor you can't go to because they're not in the network. Isn't it time for a change? Well, stop the insanity and call Marley Financial, the most innovative agency in the industry. Put an end to the annual increase. Give your employees a national network that all hospitals accept and reduce your monthly premiums by 20 to 30%. It doesn't matter when your renewal is. Marley can help today. Call 724-884-1496. Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. 724-884-1496. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, you've, uh, if you were listening at the beginning of the uh, show, you, you heard uh, Zach Smith from the Heritage Foundation talking about Texas uh, suing four states, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and uh, he questioned. He was wondering whether or not the Supreme Court would even accept the case. Well, I just saw news a minute ago that uh, the uh, Supreme Court has put it on the docket. I don't know if that means they can still decide not to hear it, but it's on the docket. So they, as of right now, the Supreme Court will at least hear. Apparently, Ted Cruz, who's going to be the guy arguing the case. Um, uh, at the Supreme Court, if it uh, if it does go through, so uh, I, I want to tell you though too. Um, well, I got a minute. Um, to, you really ought to try it. Just get get the uh, get Cyril Weck's book. It's great. Um, if it's just for the just for the stuff on Bobby uh, and Jack Kennedy, the stuff that he the work that he did on those two cases, uh, it's worth the price of admission just just for those for his uh, recounting of those uh, cases. So check it out. It's uh, Cyril Wecht. The uh, the books. The title is uh, "The Life and Deaths of Cyril Wecht." You will like it. Check it out. It's a good one. I'm going to read it. I, I read a good bit of it before I did the interview with him, and I'm going to finish it. So I've uh, just a little tip for you: buy it for somebody for Christmas if we still have Christmas, which is, I guess, up in the air around here. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.